This podcast is presented by the Bet Parks online casino and sportsbook app. New customers download now and get up to $1,000 in casino bonus back if you're not a winner in your first 24 hours. See BetParks.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 in PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Michigan, or Ohio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult to Today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation semi annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal too. Schedule a no obligation in home estimate now. Call 866 90 Nation or visit windownation.com. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipittv. Michael Kiss. I don't know what we're yelling about! And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiss and Solak Show. You got any Andy? Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show, your home for the best Eagles analysis in the game. This is Episode 7, brought to you by BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at InsideThePylon.com. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation and NDTScouting.com is where he does his awesome draft work. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. We did see, of course, uh, recording this on Tuesday, the end of one of the most storied careers of Philadelphia Eagles. One of the fan favorites, uh, a treasured Eagle ending his career with the Super Bowl championship. Donnie Jones retired, man. Punder for the Eagles. Sad thing. Look, man, sound the alarm. We're going to talk about some special teams for a second. That's big time news to draw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing better than a little special team, Mike. Th- third phase of the game. Third phase of the game. So Donnie Jones retires. Uh, he was 37 or is 37. He's not dead, Mike. Come on. And played 14 years in the league. It saves about 1.6 mil against the cap. We incur about a quarter mil in dead money. And Ben, as you pointed out on an earlier show, we've had punter Cameron Johnston waiting in the wings there on the practice squad. There are some big names in the punting community out there in free agency. Some real sexy names like Shane Leckler and Dustin Colquitt and whatnot. And if, if Donnie Jones, who we love, by the way, didn't retire, uh, we said let, letting him go would have been an easy no-brainer move to save money against the cap. Uh, but thank you for your service, Donnie. Enjoy that ring. 
enjoy retirement like a boss. Ben, check out this list of accomplishments for Donnie. He's the franchise leader in gross punting average, net average, has the most career punts inside the 20, most single season punts inside the 20, and best net punting average in a season, all franchise records. Punters are people too. Way to go out on top, Donnie. Do you have a favorite Donnie Jones memory? No, not at all. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, you? I, I, you don't have, there are, obviously aren't that many. When he came out uh, with his sweatpants still on in that game this year, in the freezing cold game, and didn't realize it. And he's like out the field. He had to like throw oh, him yeah. off, like throw him behind him. That was a big moment for me because one of my main goals, obviously, as a member of the media, is to exclusively work in sweatpants, right? Like, and, <laughs> and, and Donnie pulled that off on national television, making almost $2 million. Working, he, he, he went to work in sweatpants that day. And then when the boss came around, the boss in this case being the Fox broadcast, he whipped him off real quick. But either way, that was a big moment for uh, sweatpants workers everywhere. That's the dream, man. Okay, so moving on from the sexy special teams talk, we're going to be talking combine today. We'll be on the defensive side of the ball. If you missed it, episode six on Monday dropped on BGN radio. We talked the offensive side of the ball. Today is defense for the combine. And the first thing we'll do is we'll just go through some positional drills. We'll go through why they're important, why some maybe aren't that important. Mm -hmm. What I'll start out with is the field drills. Specifically, I'm looking at these defensive backs how comfortable and smooth they look in their pedal, how fluid they turn out of it. For example, you look at a guy like Deshaun Elliott from Texas. Uh, he had a couple of bad turns out of his pedal on tape where there was a significant hitch. And in the NFL, that's going to get you toasted up. So can he get low? Can he flip his hips and turn while carrying speed? That's something I want to see from him. Getting that close-up HD view of where you can slow it down from the reverse angle, it's helpful to me. When you have an unchecked box in regard to that technique, that's kind of what you want to see. You also wonder about guys and their long speed, like Iowa's cornerback Josh Jackson, who was an absolute turnover machine in college. He had eight picks this year, took two back for touchdowns, plus 18 pass breakups. That's tremendous ball production, Ben. Dude is a yeah. hawk. But teams are going to shy away when he tests a little slow if he does test a little slow. So that could be important for his draft stuff as well. Now, going back to the field drills for a second, keep an eye on the linebackers, how comfortable they are moving forwards, backwards, laterally. You'll see guys that are stiff, and it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. You know guys like Roquan Smith from Georgia, Fred Warner from BYU, Sky Moore from South Carolina. They're going to be able to move real well, but I have questions about some other guys and their athleticism. As far as time drills for linebackers, Ben, I don't know about you, I really like the 20-yard shuttle. You give me a linebacker with a 4-1 mm -hmm. shuttle to show that he's balanced and bursty through changes of direction, and if the tape shows that he's a fast mental processor, that's the type of play speed that I'm looking for. That's terrific. I'm really intrigued by how Alabama linebacker Rashawn Evans fares on that 20-yard shuttle because he could be a guy we target at 32 depending on how the rest of the offseason pans out. And lastly, for me, three-cone for defensive ends, simulating that balance and speed through contact, testing that flexibility and bend. The three-cone is the ultimate for any edge rusher looking to get paid. And we have a great example of that here in Philadelphia. Derek Barnett, look at his testing. Height, weight. Arm length, hand size, 40-yard dash, vertical jump, broad jump, 20-yard shuttle, all fell under the 65th percentile for players at his position over the historical data set. But three cone, 6.96 in the 88th percentile, it saved the day for him. It confirmed what you yep. saw on tape. Dude can run under, run under a table, as we like to say, which is what you need from these edge rushers. Ben, pick your poison, man. What drills do you like? Right. So obviously different positions are going to require different things. You're going to want to see different 
uh, successes in different drills for so on and so forth. I think, yeah, the three cone is king for defensive ends and for edge rushers and riddling out not only how to find good edges in the first rounds, but how to find promising edges in the later rounds. The three cone is very valuable, riddling out not only which edges are good, but how these edges win, right? Because you have, huh. you know, guys like a Marcus Davenport out of UTSA is a great example. He won, you know, with the Roadrunners, I think it is at UTSA, by picking up small people and chucking them around, right? Like he won with like raw power with his huge length. He has a one way go. He tries to go through you. Right. And so when he goes and he tests on the three cone, I'm going to be paying attention because if he tests with a good three cone time, then I can get my, my defensive line coach there with him. I can work with him and I can teach him how to turn a corner. I can teach him how to bend. If he doesn't put up a good three cone time, right, then I know that he doesn't necessarily have that. Now, three cones will lie to you. Right. And you, and this is why, you know, it is important to understand what you're seeing on tape. And it's important to have a marriage between tape and between numbers. I think immediately of Jordan Willis, kid out of Kansas mm-hmm. State last year, edge rusher, who put up a great three-cone time. <laughs> and it made no sense. <laughs> yeah, no, he put up a great three-cone time because he's like a quick dude, but he could not. And we talk about rushing with tilt a little bit, which is a little bit different than bend. You know, we talk about a guy is flexible. He can bend. It means he can get underneath a punch. He can dip his shoulder to get near the waist of an offensive tackle. It reduces his surface area, makes it very difficult for the offensive tackle to land a punch on him. Mm-hmm. So bending is more getting around a guy. Rushing with tilt is a situation where, yeah, you've engaged physically with the offensive lineman and your 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 body's at a 45 degree angle with the ground leading into that lineman and you're, you're able to generate enough power to still turn turn the corner, right? Like pivot off of that lineman like like he's a post and you're pivoting off of him and then you still generate a rush angle. Willis could not rush with tilt whatsoever. He would try Mm -hmm. to put his foot in the ground and he would just get washed back beyond the peak of the pocket. So three cones will lie to you. It's important to understand that no no one test is going to solve the problem. But as far as a valuable test for a valuable position, three understanding how the three cone impacts edge evaluations is huge because that one matters in a big way. Beyond that, on the defensive side, yeah, really, I look a lot more for how they're moving in certain situations. Obviously, your short shuttle is going to be valuable for your your defensive backs, for your linebackers. Three cone, to me, is also valuable for my defensive backs as well. For my defensive linemen, I'd like for them to have a good 10-yard split on the 40, speaking to that initial explosiveness with which they get off of the ball. And then obviously, you know, you'd like for them to be reasonable in the in the 225 bench just to be sure that they have functional strength. But really, when it comes to the defensive guys, yeah, I, w- I like to see how they move a lot better in space. I like to see defensive linemen work on mirror drills the same way that offensive linemen do. And I spoke on the Monday podcast about how much those matter to me. Uh, and then as far as linebackers and, and safeties goes, like you said, the pedal drills are what's very, very important to me. And it's a shame at the combine, they do not, they, they test these players one at a time, which makes sense. And you have an isolated view, but it is fun when you're able to watch practices at the senior bowl or where you're able to go to pro day workouts. Occasionally you'll be able to have these players go three, four at a time. And then you can kind of see them up against each other which helps because it's a difficult thing to quantify when you're just watching it. But understanding that fluidity, the ability to change direction, all that stuff is, is very, very important. That's what I look for heavily in my linebackers and my defensive backs. Yeah, speaking of linebackers, we actually got a, a question on Twitter today. And since right. Jack Fritz and his counterpart show here on BGN Radio no longer have a monopoly on the Twitter mailbag, we're, we're the new gang in town, we decided to field said question on here on the Kissed and Solak show. So, Ben, you ready for this? Thomas, at ThomasRP93 writes, 
Can you guys give a reason scouts are high on Alabama linebacker Rashawn Evans? I really don't see what he does better than Leighton Vander Esch from Boise State, Malik Jefferson from Texas, or Josie Jewell from Iowa in terms of playing out of the box and playing the run inside the box. Ben, you want first crack at this bad boy. Yeah, so the first thing I will say is this. Of the three linebackers who were listed beyond Evans, that's Leighton Vander Esch out of Boise, Malik Jefferson, Texas, then Josie Jewell out of Iowa. Jefferson's a little bit of a of a difficult case because he plays in the Big 12 and Big 12 defense is different. It's just not real. But of those three linebackers, you you know, Jewel, Van Der Esch, and Jefferson are all going to have much more similar responsibilities, whereas Evans' responsibility in the Bama scheme is going to be a little bit different than it would be for those three guys. And so that can muddy evals and muddy those comparisons. When I talk about this, you're going to have a lot more of a downhill I would say an initial downhill mentality for a guy like a Van Der Esch, a Jewel, or a Malik Jefferson. They're at the point where they want to see it and immediately crash downhill on it, create some traffic down there. They don't want to let guards climb up to the second level. It's a one-gapping, more of an attacking sort of a scheme, right? Which I'm not saying Alabama doesn't run that because they do, but oh. Saban is known for multifarious defenses that do things in a lot of different ways. And so we're going to address what Saban does in a second. So with those guys, you know, when I watch a, a, a Van Der Esch, who I have, I have markedly lower uh, than a Rashawn Evans. I see a guy who he might see it very quickly, but he struggles to attack it at a great speed and he struggles mm-hmm. to get down there and fight within the trees. And then when he's shooting gaps, he's decent. But again, he doesn't have that that excellent closing burst that I want to see from him. Josie Jewell is a similar problem, but he's even further down from me than Van Der Esch in the sense that he's he keys quite well. He sees it very quickly, but he's a very athletically limited prospect. Josie Jewell is not going to test very well at Indianapolis. You're not going to be able to put his numbers nicely up against a guy like Rashawn Evans. Evans. Malik Jefferson, on the other hand, fantastic athlete, makes ridiculous athletic plays, right. but he's a guy who does not know what he's seeing very well. He's played yeah. a linebacker position for a couple of years, and they've just really struggled there at Texas to get him to consistently key, to understand how offensive guards are moving, what that dictates for his responsibilities, and how to attack it, the mental game he's lacking there. Rashawn Evans in Alabama plays behind some big boys at the nose position to Ron Payne. You know, and then they've got guys behind him as well as Ricky Christmas kid and whatever, you know, or Raekwon Davis, another guy they have who they may move in, you know, inside and outside because they've got a lot of depth there. That de- that nose tackle, very often that defensive tackle in Bama is more gap controlling than he is penetrating as it would be in the other right. systems. So what he's doing is he's taking the lineman directly in front of him. He's two gapping him. He's taking him by the chest and he's reading the running back through that offensive lineman. He's peeking into the backfield, seeing who's going where. And then when the running back commits to a hole, he's shucking that offensive guard. He's throwing him away. And he's making the tackle. And so Evans is at a point where because the guy in front of him is playing with more patience, so does Evans. Because whatever gap the guy in front of him goes into, Evans has to be more responsible for the other gap. So you may not see Evans click and close as quickly as you do the other guys. And so you have to understand the roles a little bit to understand why it may look different. So that's what I think of when I think of inside the box. I think Evans has excellent closing burst. When he has space, he can really shut in on a guy. He handles blocks very well, either through them or around them, because he's got great physicality and then good quickness. Outside of the box, I hear you. Evans' weakness right now is his coverage ability. He does well dropping into short zones. He understands how to read a quarterback's eyes and adjust his zone drops based off of that. But he does still work. He need a little bit of work in man coverage, just understanding where to take his risk how to play a guy, how to use leverage. Not surprising that a one-year starter at a linebacker position in SEC school doesn't know that very well, Mike. Like that's, you know, it's kind of the style of play. But you're assuming, and obviously we're going to get his numbers within the week here, you're assuming Evans has the physical profile from a quickness perspective where he'll be able to stick with tight ends and with running backs in coverage. That's where we start looking at the 20-yard shuttle and the three-cone, what we've already 
discussed. Yeah, and for me, Evans, the guy diagnoses quickly for the most part. He can stack and shed with power. He can avoid blocks when it calls for it and, you know, shoot in a gap and make a play. He can be a little bit out of control as a tackler sometimes, but he's a legit murderer. So you kind of let that slide every now and then. He'll he'll pop you. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to have the elite range of a guy like a Malik Jefferson, but he can make plays outside of the core of the formation. He can carry routes up the seam like you were talking about. You wonder about his man coverage ability because you didn't get to see him do a whole lot of that on tape. But for me, the questions that I have about Van Der Esch are more worrisome. Van Der Esch, speaking of him, he's got some decent fluidity, but he's like you mentioned before he's got one gear and when you have one gear and you're late to react as often as he is and when you combine that with the wrap and drag type of tackling that he has uh, he's a guy I can see making a lot of tackles but making them four or five yards down the field I do think he has a lot of room for development regarding the mental aspect so I'm not entirely down on Van Der Esch as a prospect but when you look at boxes checked on critical factors and these traits that you're looking for, I feel more comfortable taking Evans knowing what he is right now than I do with Vander Esch betting on what he can become. As for the other two guys, Jefferson is sushi raw. Jewel is a day three depth guy that you're going to want on your team, but he's athletically limited, to put it nicely. Mm-hmm. He's going to impress teams in the interviews, but the time drills are not going to be his best look whatsoever. Uh, He's more of your classic two-down linebacker, a special teams contributor kind of guy. He's going to have to earn his way on a roster that way. Ben, any other guys from the linebacker position do you think their testing might make or break their stock? Or or is there a specific thing that you're looking for, certain benchmarks that you're looking for with certain guys? Uh, You know, make or break your stock is difficult. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you're going to... It's dramatic, I know. Yeah, they'll have things (laughs) that make you go back to the tape. I certainly will be looking at a guy like uh, Jason Cabinda out of Penn State as a guy who's athletically Mm. limited on tapes. I'm excited to see how he tests because if he, you know, shows a bit more athleticism than he ever showed at Penn State, then maybe you can get him on the field a little bit more for passing downs. As of right now, I would call him more of a of a thumper, two down sort of middle linebacking thumper. Kenny Young is a kid I really like out of UCLA. He's undersized. He's like 6'1", 225, but he looks like an excellent coverage linebacker. You know, UCLA has produced more than a few of these guys now. Miles Jack, Jalen Brown, some of these guys have come out in recent years. And so Kenny Young is a guy I think should test well. Here's a fun name for you, Mike. Then this one was dropped to me saying that he's this is a guy who they think is going to test very well in mm. in Indianapolis and he's going to start to you know see his stock rise a little bit. Western Kentucky Joel Oh shoot! Where oh, is it? Is it like Egabuguburki or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, no, no, no. But yeah. I had the uh, <laughs> I had the pronunciation. Oh, here it is. Joel Iebuniwe. All right, out of Western Kentucky, the Hilltopper is a guy who say that name again. Iebuniwe. Iebuniwe. Buniwe. Iebuniwe. Iebuniwe. Yep. So Joel Iebuniwe is a guy who, again, undersized. You know, he's coming out of a of a of a defense where he played a little bit of like that money backer position uh, for the Hilltoppers, but is a guy who they expect to run under four five, uh, which Ooh. for a linebacker would be a really big deal. And then they expect him to shuttle quite nicely as well. And so that's a name that you want to keep a star on, keep an eye on. Yes, yeah, so that's a guy I'm watching. And then obviously I think it's going to be very interesting to see what Shaquem Griffin does. At a UCF, mm. Shaquem Griffin is a really interesting player. There's a young man who, uh, when he was very young, he had his left hand amputated, and then he went, played, you know, walked on for UCF, was able to be a very successful and productive linebacker for them. It's going to be very difficult for him to play at the NFL level competitively. You know, you don't have a left hand. That makes things very difficult for you. However, Shaquem Griffin is ridiculous. Re- 
ridiculously athletic, Mike. And I yeah. asked a couple of weeks ago when I was running through some UCF tape, you know, who's going to be faster, Shaquem Griffin or Roquan Smith? Because we've heard so many wonderful things about this kid out of Georgia, Ooh. right? Roquan Smith is a top 10 linebacker uh, or top 10 player overall, a top two linebacker for most people. And I think that they're both going to run low four fives. Maybe break four or five. Who you got? 45% said Shaquem Griffin. 55% said Roquan Smith. I think it's going to be Shaquem. I think his 10-yard split is going to be like atrocious, like throw up good. And then I think he's going to be able to carry that into like a four or five forty. I was going to pick the other side of whatever you picked, but I'm not even going to argue with Griffin beating Roquan. In the, and I think Roquan's going to do very, very well at the combine. But yeah, oh, yeah Griffin certainly. can go. And and for his limitations with the hand and everything like that, he's resourceful. And we saw him at the Senior Bowl, and he they were putting him on the edge, and they were putting him on the side where he, you know, his where his missing hand was was his inside inside pole, and he was having to make it work one way or another, and did a pretty admirable admirable job on some reps, you know, hitting the spin moves or whatever he had to do to make it work. It was it was really impressive. He's got a fantastic story. Apparently, his work ethic is like otherworldly. Uh, so nobody works harder right. than that guy. Uh, he's a guy, just character-wise, you want on your team. He's at least going to be a special teams contributor. You'll probably take him on day three. But yeah, okay, so I'm taking Sha- Shaquem Griffin over Roquan Smith. And let me throw out some safety names for you. And I, I want to see who you think might be the fastest out of this group. And these are just names that I like. It's not necessarily like these are the necessarily the burners. But Ronnie Harrison from Alabama. Jesse Bates from Wake Forest. Justin Reed from Stanford. Deshaun Elliott from Texas. Jordan Whitehead from Pittsburgh. Kaiser White from West Virginia, Trayvon Henderson from Hawaii, Saran Neal from Jacksonville State. Henderson's not going to be there, Mike. He wasn't invited. He was a snub. Oh, he got snubbed. He did get snubbed. Well, that's a shame because he played really well at yeah. the uh, senior bowl practices. I was really impressed by him. But it's him. okay because Troy Apke out of Penn State has made it. Oh, gee, really? I, Apke's like maybe around seven fifth. What are they doing with these lists? Apke goes to a Power 5 school. Henderson goes to Hawaii. How many people do you think made the trip out to Hawaii for the NFL Combine? <laughs> Well, Henderson, typically there's about 30 to 35 guys that don't get invited to the combine that are going to get drafted. I think Trayvon Henderson, just based on tape, what I saw at the senior bowl. He's going to be one of the first kids who gets drafted who didn't make it to the combine. They did the same thing to Kevin Bayard, 2016, Mm. Middle Tennessee State. Bayard's awesome. Yeah, Bayard went top 70 or whatever it was. So, yeah, I mean, you you know who else got snubbed? Jeremy Reeves, South Alabama. It's a top 75 player. I was thinking of another name, and he he was going to be on the end of that list. He had a really good senior bowl game, man. Yeah. But anyway, you know, you're always going to have guys that miss out. Uh, Henderson's going to be a guy who is going to get drafted very well. He's going to have a great pro day or whatever. They brought a record number of defensive backs this year. Mike, do you see this? No. They brought like 70 defensive backs or something, the most they've ever brought between the safeties and the corners. Remember, day four, as far as like televised testing stuff, is just all defensive backs. It's, there's mm. no other position. And like, and I, and they were talking about that's like a concerted effort this year and, and in the years to come to bring in a high quantity of, of corners and safeties. Because there's so the first you know nickel is the new base or whatever, but also there you know there's so much more specialization and 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 right. you know you want to be able to see a, a bevy of nickel guys, slot guys, and boundary guys, and strong safeties and free safeties, whatever. To go to your question, I'd give it to Jordan Whitehead out of Pitt. Yeah. Uh, he can fly. 
you know, as far as the guys that you listed, the only ones I felt initially comfortable of to have them single high were Harrison and Whitehead as well. Maybe because you're white, but I don't think I'm ready for that yet. You don't think Bates has the range? I think, uh, I guess I would be like comfortable with it. I much rather would have Bates playing close to line of scrimmage, to be honest. Yeah. yeah I mean, he can be a little passive in run, de- in run defense or whatever, but he's got great man coverage abilities. He speaks more strong safety overhang to me. So mm. I think Whitehead would be the guy there. I know that people are debating how fast they think Derwin James is going to run out of Florida yes. State. The number I saw, 4.52, over-under for Derwin, 4.52. How big is he? What's his weight? What's his projected weight? We don't know the, the real number yet, but what is Derwin's it, like 215? Derwin's listed 6'2", 215. 215, okay. Yeah, I'm going to go, oh man, that's tough. I'm going to go under though. I think he, I think he's a bit of a physical freak. So I, th- I think he goes under. What about you? Yeah, so I would expect him to come in at around 4'5". Right around hmm. there. So four five two is a good number to set it at. I, I would, if I edge anything, I will edge under. Not unlike uh, Shaquem Griffin, where I just said he's going to have an incredible ten yard and that's going to carry him. I wouldn't be surprised if Derwin has a nutty ten yard, and then hmm. that really is what carries his speed and that's what carries his score. Because Derwin's a guy who you, you see him when he when he when he gets his target, he can cover ground in three steps. Right when he when he keys on what he wants. You know, yeah. whether it's coming in for a tackle Super or a run fill or a ball, whatever, he can really, really close. And another guy who can do, I think can do that is Justin Reed. I think Justin Reed's going to have another a good 10-yard as well. That kid out of uh, Stanford, safety as well. You think they jump well too? I mean, I would expect them to, yeah, if they have good 10 yeah. yards. You know, a very, you know, you have to be careful with jumps translating to explosiveness. That's why the 10-yard is helpful. You know, sometimes the jump doesn't show out as well. Sometimes it's just a guy who, you know, has, he has bunnies. He has good jumping ability, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I would expect them to jump well. So Justin Reed is a guy that I am, I'm curious about his medical rechecks, Mike, because he's a guy who I have as far as, you know, a, a round two player. But mm-hmm. from what we understand, he could be a one contract sort of a guy. Teams are worried about his long term abil- availability. There are guys around the Stanford program, uh, one that I know that kind of gave me the hint to kind of be concerned about him lasting past one contract. And this is someone that I trust. This is someone that put me on to Bryce Love going back to school. So, you know, his takes are good. I'm not a big source guy. You know, I don't need all that attention and everything like that. I don't need to tweet everything out that I hear. But that is one thing that I heard about Justin Reed. So I would take that big time as a concern. And we'll see what happens when the medical comes up for him. Other medical concerns for guys, because medical is probably one of the most important parts of the combine. You're looking at Jake Sitchie, the linebacker from Wisconsin. You've got Sky Moore. We've talked about him a couple of times. What other medical concern guys do you have that can help themselves with good medical at the combine? Yeah, so on the defensive side of the ball, big guys who have work to do you know, in the medical rechecks. If we start on the edges, we're looking at Harold Landry, Josh Sweat, and Kamoko Toure are my three big guys on the edges. All of these guys are round three tape or better. I would even say Toure, he was asked to do some weird things at Rutgers. So if you just isolate his pass rush reps, then he's probably round two. Sweat is a guy who, I again, I have him as a, as a round three sort of a grade, but I know that folks like him even higher than that. And then Landry's a top 15 player, but Landry's yeah. got ankle problems. Josh Sweat had a torn ACL in his left knee. He almost had to get it amputated, if memory serves. Like, it was a really bad situation. And then, yeah, Toure is a guy who's had multiple uh, shoulder surgeries. So they've all got work to do there. In- interior defensive line, the big name is Nathan Shepard out of Fort Hayes. We, we, Nathan Shepard teased us, man. He gave us one incredibly dominant day of senior bowl performance, came yes. out on day two, started taking more bodies, started killing more people in for like <laughs> live murders, and then yeah. broke his hand. 
and he had yeah. to leave the Senior Bowl, and we didn't get to see him at all. So teams are very excited. I know of multiple teams who are really excited to see a healthy Shepard. So broken hand is not a big injury concern, but they're just very excited to see him live again because kid played at Fort Hayes State. Nobody really knew about him. Linebacking, yeah, you mentioned Sky Moore, Jack Sitchie. The other big name for me is Sean Dion Hamilton out of yeah. Alabama. That's a guy we've had a fractured patella and a torn ACL, both in the right knee, two consecutive season-ending injuries in the same knee. So mm-hmm. that's, a, you know, if we've, if we're in a situation where that right knee can't be trusted, Deion Hamilton is a guy that you can't draft at a premium. Incredibly talented. Love him as a target for Philadelphia. Would love to see injury concerns drop him a little bit, you know, selfishly. Obviously, you don't want to see injury concerns drop a kid. Like, that's sad. But, you know, Philadelphia could absolutely cash in on that. And then the big names on the defensive backs for me, Jerry Alexander, corner out of mm-hmm. Louisville. Mike, probably going to be a top five player on my board in this class. Right. And you don't see that very often. His 2016 tape is bonkers. bonkers yeah. And his 2017 tape, when he came back like, at 80% for a struggling Louisville team, was still ridiculously good. I love Jerry Alexander. This is exactly my sort of a player. But this is a guy who, right knee sprain, re injured in 2017 when he was trying to rush it back. That knee has to be stable in Indianapolis. The worst thing that could possibly happen for Alexander is for him to go out and test. And that need not be good and he re-injures it because yeah. teams are going to stay away from that like the plague. Derwin, James, we already talked about him. He did have a meniscus tear. Uh, they just got to make sure that that's legit. I've heard no bad things about that, though. I've heard no worries on his tear. He should clear just fine. Mm. So those are my injury guys that I'm watching on the on the defensive side. To the point of corners, though, with Jerry Alexander, is there a position group that has more riding on the combine than the corners? Because I feel like if you go through the top names, like Denzel Ward is allegedly like a 4-2 player, which I do not see. And I do not believe Ohio State, because I think Ohio State runs their kids on a 35-yard dash. Consistently inflated numbers. You said the other day, how much do you add for a school? I said 0.09 to 0.15. Ohio State's like, I'll add a full 0.2 to their 40. Their official times are terrible, man. Right. So it's (laughs) garbage. And Ward also, we don't talk about this enough. Ward is listed at 5'10", hmm. okay? The number that I was taught to look for for corners is 5'10", 5 5 on the height. And and four-digit height listing, you know, five is the feet marking. The next two digits, the second and the third, are how many inches. And then that fourth digit is out of eighths, how many eighths inches they are. So 5'10", 5, 5 is 5'10 and a half, right? 5'10 hmm. and 5 eighths. That's the mark you need to clear to be able to pull off boundary corner. And even then, that's that's a very low mark. He's listed 5'10". So yeah. he, he's got huge work to do. I believe the defensive backs are measuring on Friday. He's got to come in 5'11", 5'10", 5'. That's big for Denzel Ward. We talked about Josh Jackson out of Iowa. This is a cover three corner, right? This is a guy we have exceptional ball skills, X wide receiver, great anticipation, great aggressiveness. But if you're going to play deep third, you better be able to run. Yes. All right. And Josh Jackson is a guy who he's coming in. He's six one, about 190, 195. So if he's coming in sub 200 and you're going to be that skinny at that height, you better be able to fly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Josh Jackson's a guy who needs to be coming in at the four fours. You keep going down. Dante Jackson out of LSU is our, that's our smart money for fastest 40, right? If you're going to come in talking about breaking John Ross's record, you better run sub 4-3, son. Like, you better put your money where your mouth is, right? Then you go to a guy like Carlton Davis out of Auburn, who I love. I comped him to Xavier Rhodes. I'm super into Carlton Davis. Auburn is trying to tell me that he's going to run a 4-3-3. No, he isn't. Stop lying. Why are you lying? So Carlton Davis, I don't need Carlton Davis to run much faster than a 4-5. Like, if he's running around 4-5, 4-5-2, he'll be fine. Then yeah. you have 
The last guys that you're really interested in, Isaiah Oliver out of Colorado is a pentathlete. He's amazing. He should blow the roof off the place. He should massively increase his stock. And then Mike Hughes at UCF has questions to answer about all of his silly nonsense when he was with North Carolina. So like you go through all the top corners, all of them have mad work to do with the combine. Yeah, and you look at a guy like last year, Desmond King was getting first round hype for a good part of the year. He runs four six at his pro day. And uh, he didn't get drafted till the fifth round. And it wasn't all because of that. But a lot of the concern was the fact that he couldn't run. And you might see some of that with Josh Jackson. And going back to the medical man. Desmond King wasn't drafted till the fifth round? Right. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it right now. That's a item as a second round grade. He went to Los Angeles, right? Fifth round. Oh my gosh. He was selected in the fifth round. That's what I'm saying. That's how far he dropped. Three rounds of teams are stupid. Yeah. Speaking of anyway, which, you, you go saying. you go back to the medical. Carl Lawson. I don't. Where did you have Carl Lawson on your board? Because I had him. I think twenty sixth overall or thirty second overall, like in that range. Where did you have Carl Lawson? No, we. I remember we had him at very similar positions. I know he was like my edge four. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he was a late round one for me based off of positional value. Like he was around two green. You would have taken. You would have taken him in the end of the first round, right? I wanted Eagles take him at forty three, where they took Sidney Jones. Man. Yeah. Exactly. So Carl Lawson, when did he go? He went what fourth round to the Bengals because of that yeah, medical yeah. injury because of, because of the worries about his hip, and he came out and balled out this year. So but that medical really hurt him. Teams were really concerned about the hip, and there was another edge rusher out of Washington that you really liked who had a surgery screwed up on his foot. Joe Mathis. Tell him about Joe Mathis. Met to Joe Mathis, man. Rip Joe Mathis. Joe Mathis currently plays for the BC Lions, uh, you know, CFL team. And he's a guy who had to get eight screws in his foot after he had a season-ending foot injury. And uh, he was never able to get to 100. He participated. He he did. He held a private workout like right before, like two weeks before the draft because he wasn't even able to participate in Washington's Pro Day. And he just put up bad numbers because he wasn't back healthy and, and no teams touched him. He he dropped around to a couple of teams as a, as a free agent addition and they brought him in and they would check out his foot and they would send him right back out because it's unclear if that foot will be back to fighting weight and everything like that. But Joe Mathis was the man. Joe yeah. Mathis was an, a, an exceptional player, a very smart player. I love Washington linemen. Eagles, Eagles drafted Elijah Qualls, his buddy. Sixth round, who I had around three grade on, if mm. memory serves. Qual's going to be a good player. Vita Vea, this defensive tackle. Mike, have you heard what they think Vita Vea is going to do this weekend? I was, you know, I was actually thinking about this because I was thinking about my pick for for most bench reps. I'm changing it from Leon Jacobs, the linebacker out of out of uh, Wisconsin. Even though I don't know if you've seen pictures of him, <laughs> he is crazy. He, he was like. He was, I wrote about him last week for NDT Scouting, and I said that he could kill a bull elephant with his bare hands. <laughs> kid, kid is built like cyborg. Yeah. He was made in a lab. Like, he was printed with a printer. Kid is unbelievable. <laughs> so, I'm actually going to change most bench presses. I'm thinking Vita Vea or Quentin Nelson. I'm thinking I'm, I think I'm going to go with Vita Vea. <laughs> Firstly, it's Willie Nandez is who it's going to be. <laughs> That's your But pick, secondly, right? listen, listen. Here's, here's what's ridiculous. Vita Vea is 340 pounds, okay, which is already kind of dumb. Like, you don't even need to be 340 pounds. That's just silly. It's expected. His over-under is listed at 4.9 for the 40. 4.9. So this is an ex-running back, right? He used to play running back, and now he's a 340-pound defensive tackle. When was like six? For the Washington Huskies. (laughs) No, like high school. Jeez. Did you see the rep on special teams? Where he was in the open field. Where he blocked a punt. It, 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 he blocked a punt, but he also went downfield on a punt 
move towards the sideline. He's chasing this returner down. The returner looks to his right, and you can see his eyes get as big as dinner plates. And Avia yeah. chases him down. It was the craziest thing. I was like, who is this There's person? a play, I think it's against like Arizona State or Washington State. It's a Pac-12 team. Where Via is is pursuing back like backside like a play broke and he's pursuing you know he was he was the backside tackle and he like outruns linebackers and pursue it's unbelievable <laughs> right he's massive and he's right so his over under is set at four nine which there's no way I'm touching that yeah. I, I would take I would take the over yeah. because there's no way it, it should be illegal for 340 pound people to run four nine forties if he runs sub five. I'm gonna lose my I'm gonna mind. Lose it, yeah. Aaron Donald ran a four six eight at what? He was he came in at what two ninety nine? Yeah. No, no, no two eighty five. Yeah. No, two eighty five. Yeah. He ran a four six eight at two eighty five. Vita Vey has fifty five pounds on him. It's gonna run two tenths of a second. He has a small child. Two tenths of a second him. slower. That's absurd. <laughs> There was no way we could get through the defensive combine preview without at least spending two minutes on what Vita Vea is about to do. Oh, for sure. And and Vea, man, he is part of a very, very good interior defensive line class. These guys are talented. Taven Bryan, Maurice Hurst. Even look at the guys like later on, like RJ McIntosh from Miami, who's getting zero hype right now, but he's got some movement skills. It's a deep interior class, Ben. You're missing two of the most important names, Michael. Two of my sons. This is a test to see how much you've been paying attention to my tweets. Who are my two like pet cats at interior defensive line? Puna Ford. Is that one of them? Yes, Puna out of Texas. Puna's a good good player. Also a combine snub. Deidrin Sanat from USF. Yep, Deidrin Sanat out of USF. Boom. Sanat is two a guy. Two for two? Yeah, yeah. Out of boy, Mike. Out of boy. Sanat, see, I'm pretty sure it's Sanat. Deidrin Sanat. We're going to say is it is. going to get day two hype after the combine. Ben's bold prediction. Boom. Right there. I like Deidrin it. Sanat. This is a guy who was a solid day three pick. And then over the last 13 games of his career with USF, figured out more week by week. And you can watch the tape chronologically and see that he figured out more week by week. This is how I rush the passer. Hmm. It, you know, we talk about a player, he has all the tools, but it hasn't come together yet. We watched it come together for Sonata over his senior season. The production was there. His bowl game against Texas Tech, that center still has nightmares, hmm. okay? So Sonata is a incredibly strong run defender with pass rush upside. Went to the Shrine game, Mike. Was so good at the Shrine game, got such positive reviews from the Shrine game that he was invited to the Senior Bowl and denied it because he was told by his camp, you've done well enough. <laughs> NFL teams are already so excited about you. There's no reason to go for another week of practices for the same people potentially get injured. That's how well he did at the Shrine game. He's an animal. <laughs> Sheldon Rankins didn't even do that. He was a Shrine Bowl call up, right? Or was it, or yeah, was yeah. it Javon Hargrave? If I'm not, was it both of them or just Javon Hargrave that got called up from this Ryan game? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. What I know is Sanat's an animal. <laughs> Excellent stuff, Ben. All right. It has been a blast. I think it's time for us. We've been a lot, uh, we talked a lot about this combine, man. I, like I said last time, I'm thirsty for it to begin. I can't wait to get some of these measurables in. Start hearing all the rumors, man. There are going to be a bunch of trades starting to happen very soon if all the rumblings yep. are true. So it could be a hot new season for us. And either way, man, we got draft content coming through the yin-yang. Ben, what else do we have for the gentle, gentle listeners? What's up, gentle listeners? This has been the Kissed and Solak Show. We are very appreciative that you stopped by. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. That's when Michael Kissed on Twitter at Michael Kissed NFL. That's K-I-S-T here with BGN Radio. The next episode, usually on Friday, is on Saturday. We would like to see at least one full day of some televised drills so that we can break those down for you. So the next release show 
will be on Saturday. And then, of course, we'll be on our regular schedule Monday, Wednesday, Friday to break down all of the stuff that we hear from the Combine, trade rumors, free agency rumors, who performed well, risers, fallers, trades, so on and so forth. All of that we'll be able to hash out over the next week. So make sure you're still listening here for the best Philadelphia Eagles offseason coverage you can gosh darn find on the airwaves. Yeah, and day one, group one, you've got your special teamers. You've got your offensive line. Eagles need a punter, man. Yeah, we'll get some punters. J.K. Scott. No, wait, who's the kid out of Texas? Hang on, wait, wait, wait. There's no way I can spend a second not talking about this kid out of Texas. Texas punter Michael Dixon is the greatest punter I've ever seen in college. Really? That's all. <laughs> He's a man, Mike, Mike, his, and like punter is one where you can actually figure it out like by numbers because they have to be able to punt it far and, and get inside the 20. He, his productivity numbers are unbelievable for college punters. Michael Dixon is he, he, round five selection. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So, de- so day one, what we'll be talking about next show, special teams, offensive line and running back, if I'm not mistaken, or the guys working out on Friday. We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles fly. Fly.